2023 is going to be the best year of your life if you put in the work to make it the best year of your life. If you sit back and talk about what you're going to do, it'll be no different than any other year in your life. But I believe God has given us the tools. He's given us His Word. And the fact of the matter is God did not create us to go through life going through the motions. He created us to live life with purpose. He created us to live life with passion. He created us to live life with vision. If God did not have a vision for your life, if God did not have a purpose for your life, if God did not have a passion, a, a, a calling upon your life, then He'd take us home. There'd be no point in going through the motions around here. And, and so what we're trying to do during this series is we simply want to equip you, we want to empower you, we want to remind you that God uses people just like us. God is not looking for the most extraordinary. He's looking for the most available. He's looking for those that are willing to say, God, use me. And what we're doing is we're hanging out in the Old Testament and we're looking at a cat named Nehemiah to give you a little bit of background, um, a little context in case you've missed out. It's about 444 B.C. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The walls around the city that provide protection, that provide security, that allow the city to dictate who comes into the city and who leaves the city, the walls have been torn down for about 150 years. The people of Jerusalem, they feel hopeless. They feel as if because of their actions that God has abandoned them. They feel like their best days are behind them. Boy, so many of us can relate to that. We live in the past instead of the present. And one day, a thousand miles away, a guy named Nehemiah runs into some people from Jerusalem. And he asks them, what's going on back in the hometown? How are things back home? I don't think he really cared how things were back home. I don't think he was trying to get super deep by asking the question. I think it was a casual conversation, and it's one of those things that you throw out there. But when he heard the answer, the guy looks at him and said, Hey, the walls of Jerusalem are tore down. The homeland is in bad shape. Things are not good back in those days. And when Nehemiah hears this news, it totally wrecks him. It devastates him. Now you need to understand, Nehemiah had it made. He actually had a government job. You know anybody with a government job? Greatest thing in the world. Major holidays off. Paycheck every other week. Got to do very little work. Say amen, Adam. Very little work. Got insurance. Got retirement. Got job security because, man, cities don't shut down. He's the cupbearer for the king, meaning everywhere the king went, he went. He would taste the wine before the king would taste the wine. And if he lived, the king knew 
It was safe to drink. It's a great job as long as no one's trying to poison the king. He was kind of a glorified butler, if you will. He was a good man. But he was not a man that you would look at and say, that's the guy that's going to go home and rebuild the walls. That's not the type of guy that God's going to raise up to unite a city. That's not the guy that God's going to send back to his birthplace and help them reclaim their glory. But if you'll remember last week, we laid out some things about Nehemiah as he heard that and we talked about there's, there's three specific things that God looks for when he's using somebody. He's looking for someone who will be broken over a burden. Nehemiah was broken over it. He's looking for someone who will get down and pray over that burden. I don't know that necessarily means you've got to be praying about it, though we should be praying about it. What he's saying is that you're going to take that burden to God. And then we talked about he's looking for someone that will actually stand up and do something about it. When Nehemiah heard about it, he couldn't contain his emotion anymore. The Bible says that he was broke about it. The Bible says that for days he fasted and he mourned, and he went to God, calling out to God about what he should do, and finally he gets to the point that he's willing to take action. What I love about this story the most in Nehemiah, if you know me at all, is my favorite story in all the Bible. What I love about this story, among the many things, is God didn't call Nehemiah because of his position. God equipped him because of his passion. I don't think you heard me. Now listen, you seem a little dead. I know some of you were watching fights last night. Some of you were drunk at the ice house listening to Whiskey Rose. I know that, listen, we're 99.9% Caucasian here, and white people don't really talk in church, but I need a little feedback today. I'm running on empty. I don't think you heard what I said. I said, God did not call him based on his position. He was not a leader. He was not a man of greatness as we would deem greatness. He was not charismatic as we would consider charismatic, but God called him because of his passion. He had a burden for the city. Where most people had heard about the walls being torn down and it might have upset them, they weren't willing to do nothing. The Bible says Nehemiah was broken over it. And my question today for you as you get ready for 2023 and you're thinking about that fresh start is very simply this. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that you feel that you've been put on this earth for? Because the reality is you know what it is. You might have done what most men do and patted it way, way down. You might have done whatever you can to push it outside of your head and not think about it anymore. But you know that thing that God called you to do. You know that thing that God triggers in your mind throughout your life and He reminds you that you're not doing what He called you to do. What is that thing? I don't want to compare us to Jonah, but here's the deal. What is the thing that you're running from God from? He called you. He equipped you. 
He educated you to do His calling, and yet you've ignored it. And now you wonder why life is less than it could be. Because you're living outside of the will of God. God had a plan A for you, and you've chose plan C, D, E, and F. God had a best way for you. God had a great way for you. And you settled for a good way, and there's nothing wrong with good, but you could have had great. What has God called you to do? If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. And if you're taking pictures with your phone, take a picture of the screen and very simply remember this. To make a difference in the world, you don't have to be the best. You just simply have to care the most. You've got to have that unique burden inside of you. You've got to be willing to see people and not see problems. It made me laugh last night. I I decided a few months ago we were going to start a fight league, and we had it here at the building last night, and it was crazy. We had about 900 people here, and you have to go through the athletic commission on that, so they require you to bring in a professional security company. And when you have that many people in a building, and they're drinking, and there's fights going on, you're probably going to have to ask a few people to leave. And so we had to throw two people out. It was a pretty calm night overall. But it was funny. I would watch the security people go in, and they would argue, and then the people would argue with them, and they didn't want to leave, and they're trying to justify why they need to stay. And the one guy didn't want to leave, and I walked over, and I'm real, real calm, and I said, hey, man, I I just need you to leave. And he said, but aren't you Gary Lamb? And I said, hey, man, I, I just need you to leave. He said, I'm the guy that's been texting with you, because he'd been texting me with me about tickets and stuff. He said, I've been texting with you the last couple of weeks. I'm so-and-so, and he said his name. And I said, man, it's finally nice to meet you, now I need you to leave. I was real calm. Security, man, the big old boys, and they're strong, and they're better at security if that's a word, than I am. But he looked at me and said, I'll leave for you. And I said, I appreciate that. And since he was leaving for me, it's funny, even in those events, I guess the pastor kicks in a little bit. And so I walk out the door with him, and he gets out the door, and he just starts crying. Now it's awkward. It's awkward. He's like, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't want to fight that guy. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing. Warren Thompson, you probably don't want to fight him. You're like 60. He's going to break your leg. I just need you to let him know I didn't want to fight him. I said, I, I, I think he gets it. You've got to leave. Will you pray with me real quick? This guy was stone cold sober. Will you pray with me real quick? I said, what are we going to pray about? <laughs> hey, I ain't judging anybody's prayer request. I just want you to pray he'll change his heart and I can come to the next show. And I could have looked at him and said, we're not going to pray about that, you stupid. But I didn't. I said, let's pray about it real quick. I said, Lord, I pray this guy learns to shut up in our fights and not heckle the people in the corner. Lord, I pray the next time that he's asked to leave, he'll just leave without causing a scene. And Lord, I pray next time he'll buy five more front row seats like he did this time because they were a lot of money. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. The guy looked at me. He said, thank you walked away. If I'm lying, I'm dying. 
woke up this morning with a text message. It said, thank you last night for simply caring as you threw me out. God's looking for people who care. Now, he needed to go. There was no negotiating that he was going to stay. But it's amazing. That whole interaction took me about 60 seconds. In 60 seconds, I was able to show somebody I care. And let me make something clear to you. If I, Gary Lamb, can make somebody think I care, then you have no excuse. To make a difference in the world, you don't have to be the best. Oh, the point of that was, of all the security guys, I was the least qualified. No training, no gun, not in shape, no idea. Hot kettle back there, hot kettle. But I cared and was able to do my job to back that up. I cared and was able to do their job more effective than they were. God's looking for people who care. To make a difference in the world, you don't have to be the best. That's good news for us. You don't have to be the one that everyone else thinks, man, that's the person God is going to use. You can simply be the cupbearer. The person in the room with the royalty who's always overlooked. The butler to the king that nobody's thinking is a great leader. You can be ordinary, but be the one who cares and says, somebody's got to do something about this, and I'm going to do it. God's not looking for the most talented. He's looking for the most available. God's not looking for those who have it all together. He's looking for those that are willing to be used. This is not a book of perfect people being used by God. It is a book of screw-ups being used by God. It's a book of imperfection that created a perfect message. It's about imperfect people pointing people to a perfect Savior. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. God's willing and just looking for it to be used. And that's good news. Because the reality is, unless you're just a special type of stupid, most of us don't live our life thinking, I'm the best. We might talk that game, I'm the king of talking that game. We don't live our life feeling that way. We live our life with doubts. I'm pretty good at my secular job. But all week, I kept asking myself, is anybody going to show up? Is anybody going to come? I got to the point that I actually had to take the ticket app and delete it from my phone because I kept hitting refresh nonstop. Doubting whether people were going to come. 
We got here yesterday. At that point, we had already sold 600 tickets online. And I looked at my partner and said, I wonder if anybody's coming. He said, didn't you tell us we'd sold those tickets? I said, but I wonder if they're going to show up. Knowing they're going to show up. But we're all full of insecurity. We're all full of doubt. We all think there's people who can do what we do better than us. And God says, that's the people that I'm willing to use. I found it funny. I don't mean to keep going back to last night. It's just the only thing that I can think about. Here's the funny thing about that. I've never been to a fight show in my life. I don't know anything about fighting. Unless it's redneck fighting at the bar. And then I'm good for about 15 seconds and I'm winded. I kid you not, I sat next to a judge last night. You have to have judges around the ring. And they said, this fight is blah, blah, blah. And I, I could tell the, the sanctioned judge when I asked him was a little taken back because my name's the one with all the paperwork. I said, so what does that mean? He said, what do you mean? I said, what, what, what type of fight's that? So he went over the rules. A couple fights later, it was a different style of fighting. I said, I said, what does that mean? He said, are you pulling my leg? I said, no. He said, you put this show on? I said, yeah. He said, are you a fight fan? I said, well, I'm a dude. I like to watch other dudes hit each other. Does that count? He said, how did you do this? I said, I was stupid enough to do it. A lot of people want to talk about what they're going to do. A lot of people want to dream about what they're going to do. A lot of people want to talk about what they're going to do. They want to lay it all out and dream about it and talk about how those that are doing it are doing it wrong, but very few people are willing to do it. I just did it. I'm the least qualified person in the state to run a fight show. I got an email this morning from the commission that told me yesterday or Friday, yeah, yesterday, all the days are running together, that we put on the second largest all-amateur show in the history of Georgia for our first show. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just simply saying I was just willing to be used. God's not looking for you to know it all. He's looking for you to have the gonads to step out and actually do it. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, but he heard about the walls, and he said, I cannot deal with this anymore. I cannot handle this anymore. I've got to do something about this. He, he didn't look back and say, man, I'm not the best. I can't do that. I'm not the richest. I can't do that. He said, I'm willing to be used. The problem is when God calls so many of us to do things, we look at all the things that we aren't. I'm not the sharpest. I'm not the best. I mean, this is no lie. I failed preaching 101 in Bible college. Now, some of you are like, well, no joke. We can tell. I failed preaching 101 so bad 
that my professor called me into his office and said, you might want to consider another profession. I didn't. Then I decided to start a church. And I was part of a group at that time of people where you had to go to what was called assessments to see if you had the skill set to start a church. And wherever you lined up had to do with how much money you got. The first guy who rated the best got a million dollars to go start a church. It was a million dollars over five years. Still a lot of money. The last guy, so whoever came in 10th, got $1,000 a month for one year. Ten people in the assessments. One of them at the time was the governor of Georgia's son. He was the golden boy. Good guy. The other guy was the starting quarterback. He had been the starting quarterback at an SEC school. Strapping lad. I mean, if I ain't gay, but if I was gay, I'm just telling you. I mean, he was a good-looking dude. You know what I mean? Had it all together. Pretty boy. And there was me. Out of 10, I came in 10th in that assessment. We all went and started churches. And within three months, the church I was pastoring ran more than the other nine combined. Not because I was the best, but I was willing to be used. I was willing to do whatever it took to be used. I don't normally like to tell so many stories about me, but when it comes to this, I'm the king of not good enough. Just stupid enough to be willing. Some of you are missing out on the will of God because you're waiting for all your ducks to be in a row. They're never going to be in a row. You ever remember saying this, we'll have kids when we can afford it. I'm 46 years old. I make more money than I've ever made in my life, and I still can't afford it. If you're waiting for everything to be right, then you'll be waiting forever. It was funny. There was another promoter at our show last night that had some fighters in the fight. Good guy. Helped us out the entire time. All the way leading up to it. Never had a show run what we ran last night. People came up to me last night over and over and over and were bragging about the show. He came up to me and said, for a first show it was okay. And it wasn't perfect, so let me make that clear. I mean, here's some things I would tweak. He said, I mean, your crowd was okay. I said, what was your last show? He told me. Because I'm arrogant sometimes. You might find that surprising. And I said, what was your show before that? He gave me the number. I said, blah, 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 plus blah, blah, blah. And I said, what was the show before that? That plus that plus that equals this. About 150 less than we have tonight. So I think I like our way better. He got mad and walked away. He went to my partner. My partner said, you got to be careful. He's been in this industry 25 years. He's a lifer. God's not looking for the most qualified. He's looking for those that are stupid enough to be willing to be used. God wants to use you. God's looking to use you. 
The problem is not that you don't have enough money to be used. The problem is not that you don't have the right team around you to be used. The problem is not that you don't have the right circumstances to be used. The problem, very simply, is that you're not willing to be used. Because what I have learned is sometimes I can't see three steps ahead of me, but I can see one step ahead. And when I take the one step, I can see the next step. The problem is y'all want to see three steps ahead and ten steps ahead. And guess what? When you can see that far ahead, you don't need this amazing thing called faith. But God thrives on us trusting in him with our faith. I just want to know the next step. Then I'll take the next step. I love the verse now. He said, I'll go before you and I'll make the crooked places straight. There's no place you've been today that God wasn't yesterday. He's just waiting for you to care enough about something that you're actually willing to do what it is you care about. But we won't do it. I've never been the best. I've never had the most money. I've never been the one that had it all together. I've never been the... Well, that's why I have been the sexiest. But I've never been any of these other things. And yet, for one, some other reason, God's willing to use me. Not because of me, because I'm willing to do something, and God wants to use you in the same way. So the question becomes, what do we got to do to be willing to be used? Nehemiah lays it out. He lays out the groundwork. It's very, very simple how you can be used. It's not a matter of having the money. It's not a matter of having the right circumstances. It's just a matter of coming up with some things as you get ready to be used. The first thing very clearly is this. To change the world, you have to define your mission clearly. To change the world, you have to define your mission clearly. The problem with most of you is you have a huge vision, but it's not clearly defined. Dare I say, not that your vision is too big, but your mission statement is too big. Nehemiah finds out about this. He goes before the king of Persia, and the king asks him a very important question. So the king that he's the cupbearer to asks him a question. And when he says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? Look what he does. Verse 4, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. So the king says, what's wrong, Nehemiah? First thing he did is he went to God. He knew what he needed to do. you got to stop right there. If prayer is not necessary to fulfill your mission, your mission ain't big enough. If you can do it without God, it is not your God-ordained vision. And that's the problem with so many of you. You think you're doing something because you're playing it safe. God doesn't have to get involved because it's so small. He went to God. And he began to pray. And look what he said. Look what he said. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, always butter him up. If it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, he says very clearly what he says. He doesn't hem-haw around it. He's not passive-aggressive in his asking. He doesn't haphazardly throw something out. He very specifically says, if I have found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried. And he clearly defines the mission. Send me back home so that I can. Not so someone else can. King, I know I'm your servant. I know you had these people in captivity. 
I know that, that this country overtook that city, and now it's under its rule. But send me back there so that I can rebuild the wall. The king said, what is it you want? He said, I want you to send me back where I can rebuild the wall. After he made that statement, guess what the king did not have? He had no more questions about what Nehemiah's intentions were. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't sugarcoat his ask. I call it the big ask. You better know your mission. The reason some of you can't get any traction with what you're doing in life is you don't have the testicular fortitude to clearly define your mission. So when people ask you about what you're called to do, you throw out some big, vague thing because you're worried about it might seem so crazy to them. Very, very simply here, there's a thousand great things he could have done in Jerusalem. There's a thousand things he could have said. I'm going to help improve the economy. I'm going to get rid of the corrupt politicians. He could have said, King, send me back to Jerusalem. I want to get rid of all the cats. That would have been a calling worth getting behind. But he didn't. He said, I want you to send me back home to rebuild the wall. That is my mission in life. I want to rebuild the wall. I asked you last week what your burden was. I asked you this morning what your burden is. Now here's my question. Have you clearly defined the mission of that burden? Have you narrowed that burden down to a very specific thing? Love Action Church, Hate Action Church, there's nobody that can doubt what the mission of Action Church is. There's no doubt that anybody questions what we're about. We love God, we love people, and we take action. That's simple. We don't talk about what we're going to do, we do it. We make sure people are fed. We make sure people are clothed. We make sure people have a place for their We take action. We see a need and we meet a need. Now, that doesn't mean that makes it the church for everyone, but that's the mission. It makes it real easy to roll up in here and decide whether or not this is the church for you. Not my mission, boom, I'm gone. Cool, bye. Because we ain't changing the mission to keep you. That's been the mission since day one. We were meeting in a parking lot. That was the mission. We were meeting next door. That was the mission. We meet over here. That's the mission. We get thrown out of this building, have to go meet in a tent. That'll be the mission. We get thrown out of here and have to go to another city. That'll be the mission. We get thrown out of here and have to meet in my garage. That'll be the mission. It's that simple. It's not complicated. It's never going to change. That's the mission of this church. The problem is so many of you don't know what your mission is. You've not clearly defined your mission. If you don't define it, you can't do it. If you can't define it, you can't do it. Don't just say, I just feel called to help the poor. Pretty broad scheme. I can't rally behind that statement. Tell me how you want to help the poor. Someone told me the other day, said, I feel my calling in life is to help kids with disabilities. Who would say that's a great calling? I'd say it's a great calling. Are you awake today? Who would say that's a great calling? God, I don't like people with disabilities. That's not my calling. I want to help people with disabilities. I said, great. He said, what do I do next? I said, well, which one? 
What do you mean? That there's a lot of disabilities out there. You gonna help them all? Because you're going to be real ineffective. I love the Charlie Brown skit. You ever seen the Charlie Brown skit where Charlie Brown's shooting at the, uh, he's got a bow and arrow and he's shooting at a fence? Who, who was the little girl that always drove? Lucy, she said. You don't have a target on the fence. She said, that way I never miss. That's the way some of you are with your mission. I want to hit, help people with this. So, so I asked her, I said, I said, what kind of disabilities? She said, well, I want to help kids with autism. I have a, 12-year-old with autism. I said, okay, now we're getting something. I said, so you feel like your calling in life is to help kids with autism. We're narrowing it down. I, I said, how do you want to help them? What do you mean? I said, do you want to feed them? I said, do you want to drive them around? Do you want to teach them how to be educated? I said, do you want to teach them how to get married? Do you want to teach them how to date? You would think Jerry, after 20 years of going to this church, would know to turn his phone off. Starting next week, I'm just going to get a hammer and bash it. She said, well, I want to help kids with autism become fully functioning in society. I said, oh, we're getting somewhere now. I said, so now you know the disability autism. Now you want to do, you want to help them be fully functioning. I said, which one? She said, what do you mean? Those with autism. I said, those that live in Brazil with autism? How would I do that? I said, I don't know. I'm just asking. I said, how about those that live in Russia? I said, there's a lot of kids with autism I've read in China. I said, are those the ones you want to help? No, she said, I, I want to help the ones in my city. I said, boom. Now you know your vision. Now you know your mission. You want to help kids with autism become fully functioning members of society. You want to help kids with autism that live in Canton become fully functioning members of society. See the game changer there? That's obtainable. When you don't have a clear mission, it's not attainable. It's overwhelming. I want to help kids with autism. That's pretty big. And the reason you don't do anything is, is because you're paralyzed not knowing the first step to take. By knowing the city, knowing the type, knowing what your mission is, it becomes a little more digestible. Your problem is not that you're not willing to move. The problem now has become you don't know which direction to move because you've got this big vision, but you've got to narrow that vision down. My vision in life is very clear. I want to take people in Cherokee County and I want to teach the Word of God in a simple way. That's it. That's it. You might find this shocking. I don't really have a heart for food pantries. I don't have a heart for homeless shelters. I don't have a heart for even, to be honest with you, church. But I have a heart to make sure the Word of God is taught in a simple way. And church is the best way for me to do that. That's my mission. You have a different mission. Have you broken down your mission People ask me all the time, believe it or not, all the time, this little rinky-dink church in the ghetto of Canton, people always ask me, hey, literally two weeks ago, hey, I've got a building in LJ, would you launch a campus here? No. Nothing against people in LJ, that's not my vision. God called me here. We've got a group, they're watching right now in South Dakota, 
They have watched this church for seven years. Nine of them. You think we could have an action church location here and you live feed it in and blah, blah. No. It's not my vision. I feel called here. I'm not anti that, but it's not my mission. So guess what? It makes it real easy. I don't have to pray about it because I've prayed about my mission. When you know your mission, you know what to say yes to and you know what to say no to. Define the vision clearly. If you can't define your vision, then you need to go back and figure that out. It needs to be the next step. Someone asked me last night about the fight. They said, man, what's your vision? I said, to run shows in this building. Man, you ought to take this thing on the road. Not my mission. I don't want to do that. That sounds like a job to me. I don't want to work. I've spent most of my adult life working 100 hours a week so I don't actually have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. I don't want to do that. I've got a building. I do it right here. It's fun. That's my, that's my vision. You ought to do this monthly. I don't want to do it monthly. That's a job. I want to do it when I feel like doing it. And it's fun. I want to do it when my wife says, hey, let's go on vacation. Cool, let's put on a show and I'll get the money to do that. Sounds like fun. That's how I live my life. I know my vision. I know my mission. I know the vision for my events. All my events, my vision is very simple. I want to create community for people. See, I know my mission. I want people to be able to escape the reality that most people feel their life sucks and for a couple hours come and be around people that are like-minded, like it's my festivals, wrestling, fights, what I want to do. That don't got to be your vision, but it's my vision. I had a man meet with me one time and offer me the keys to the kingdom when it came to events. He said, I'll stroke you a check right now, probably about five years ago. You'd have the biggest event company in Georgia. That sounds like a job. He said, no, you can be running them all over, and you can, you can have everybody under you, and they'll answer to you. And I said, no. Sounds like a job. He was in shock. His offer was nice. It's not my mission. I don't want to run just events to run events. I want to create community. I can't create community with someone else running my event. He wasn't wrong for asking, but I know my mission. The problem with so many of you is your mission is not clearly defined. So you don't know how to function. Nehemiah said, here's what I want to do. I want to go rebuild the wall. It's simple. It's not complicated. You complicate it. The next thing Nehemiah did to change the world, you've got to plan carefully. Oh, I'm not good at this one. You've got to plan carefully. It's not enough to say you want to go change the world. It's not enough to say you want to go rebuild the wall. What's your plan to do it? Actually, believe it or not, I actually operate with a plan. It's only in my head. You don't understand it. I'm actually scare you. But the plan worked. Nehemiah had a plan. He's already got the what. I want to rebuild the wall. So now the question becomes, how are you going to do it? Look what he said. If it pleases the king to send me, he's talking to the king still. I want to go rebuild the wall. If it pleases the king to send me, so I set a time. So he's telling the king, here's the deal. I know I'm your servant. So I'm going to set a time where you know how long I will be gone. I want to put your mind at ease. I'm not leaving you forever. I'm going to be gone X amount of time. Here's my plan. And then he said, I also said to him, this is good, this is good. Nehemiah was a pimp right here, boy, he's planning stuff. Two very specific requests. So he says, he said, number one, 
Can I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? He said, I've got to travel a long way, 1,000 miles. No airplanes, no trains, no automobiles. Horse, carriage, I guess carriage, I don't know. Horse, feet, and I've got to walk 1,000 miles. When I walk into other cities, I need a letter from you, the king. As I says, I have permission to go do what I'm about to do. I need safety. That's smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. I'd have been like, let's roll. And then I'd have got killed in the next town. Nehemiah knew he needed a plan. He said, I need a letter. Check out, he's a pimp. Check what he says. He said, may I also have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. So he will give me timber to make beams for the gate and for the city wall, and for the residents I will occupy. He said, oh, by the way, king, I know you've got a guy over all the forest. Remember I told you I want to rebuild the wall? <laughs> it takes wood to rebuild that. I need you to send a letter with me so I can give it to the guy over the forest, and when I start chopping down trees, he'll know what's up. I found this interesting. I was reading a commentary this week about this story, and the commentator said the fact that Nehemiah knew Asaph's name, so he put in the work. It wasn't like he could get on Google. Who's over the king's forest? He had to ask around. He had to do some research. Because when he stood before the king, he knew he had one opportunity to make that ask. And he had to have a plan. He said, here's how long I'll be gone. I need a letter. I need access to the forest. Here's the problem. So many of you want people to buy into your vision. You want people to buy into your mission. You want people to believe in what you're doing, and you have no plan. Then you get mad that they're not bought in. You get mad that no one wants to help you. Here's the reality of the situation. They don't trust you because they don't think you've put the work in to make it happen. I kind of run fly by the seat of my pants. I'm the kind of guy who likes to build the airplane while it's in the air but I at least got the plans on how to build it. I know what I need, when I need it, and what I've got to do. When I was dealing, again, I don't mean to keep going, when I was dealing back with the fight league, it was the most complicated thing I've ever done because I had to deal with the athletic commission. There was things I didn't know about, but I made sure I found out about. I had to have bonds. I'd never heard of bonds in my life. I had to call a man in my life that knew about bonds. I had to have certain types of insurances. I had never heard of these insurances. And when I was calling insurance agents, they had never heard of these type of insurances. I had to make phone calls and find out. I had to do all of this stuff before I ever met with the athletic commissioner. I showed up with the athletic commissioner. Listen, 43 pages of stuff I had put together to present to him. I thought I was going to be in a four-hour meeting while he looked at all this stuff. I was in a five-minute meeting. He opened it up, saw that I had the plan, that I had done the research, that I had put the work in, that everything was taken care of and the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. And he pulled out a stamp and he said, approved. Because there was a plan. I put his mind at ease by having a plan for what I wanted to do. Some of you think it's just enough to have a mission. You've got to have a plan for how that mission is going to happen. Some of you think a good marriage just works. No, it takes a plan. Hello? 
Some of you want your finances in order, but you think that just happens. No, it takes a plan. I hear people all the time like, I don't understand how these athletes go bankrupt. Here's why. Because they spend their money like you do. It's just another zero. You buy a $20,000 car and they buy a $200,000 car. Percentages are the same. You buy a $500,000 house and they buy a $5 million house. Percentages are the same. It's another zero. They don't have sound financial principles. You think, you think stuff just happens. It just happens. It doesn't happen. There's a plan. I'm going to build this company. What's your plan? think it just happens? People kill me. How many of you hear this? Must be nice. Must be nice. It is nice. Everybody saw the thing last night. And I'm, not, I'm not picking on any of you, I promise. But I bet I had six people say it to me today. Boy, I met you made bank last night. I, I made money last night. But what you didn't see was I put about $18,000 out, and no one could have showed up. But I had a plan. I could have lost $18,000 just as quickly as I could have made the $80 I made. $18,000 to make $18,080. Rough life. But I had a plan. Nehemiah had a plan. What's your plan? You need to work as hard planning and preparing as you do implementing. Can I tell you something? I didn't always understand this. And it's why I started businesses and they started really fast. And they declined. Because I had no plan. What's the plan? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to make it happen? Last and I'm done. We're going to go home. Change the world. You've got to inspire people passionately. You will never accomplish the mission God has for you in your life alone. It takes people. People to buy into you. And you know how they buy into you? <laughs> Don't miss this. Clear mission and a plan. When you have those two things, You'll have success, and when you have success, people don't want to be part of what you're doing. Nehemiah, he arrives on the scene. The people of Jerusalem are all around. They don't know who Nehemiah is. He lives a thousand miles away. He goes and he looks around. He rallies all the people together. He tells them why he's there. He said, I'm here. Look what he said. He says, you see the trouble that we are in. He casts a vision to them about the problem. Here's the problem. Now, how do we make that better? He said, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. You see the problem. You're used to the problem because you're living in it every day. We get comfortable in our discomfort. You heard me tell this story before. In my last house we moved in, as I was moving into the house, I had a box full of stuff and I kicked the door open to get through the door. The door swung open, and the doorknob went through the sheetrock. I noticed it every day the first week. 
then I would notice it about once a month. Then I never noticed it. It needed to be fixed. I just got used to the hole being there. So you say he's telling people the obvious thing. No, they got used to the walls being down. They were complacent with the walls being down. If they were going to rebuild the walls, they'd already done it. They had got comfortable. They had learned how to function in their dysfunction. He said, you see the trouble? The walls are torn down. Look what he says. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. Let us rebuild! We no longer have to be embarrassed. He was rallying people. Then he came along and said, I told them with the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. He said, here's my calling. Here's the mission. Here's the plan. As you can see, the plan's been working. The king sent me with the ladders. We have everything we need to rebuild the wall, but I can't do it alone. You were not made to do life alone. So they began the good Show me your team and I'll show you your future. Show me the people you do life with and I'll show you your future. I was super proud last night because a lot of my events I've done for a lot of years, so it's always the same people around. So last night it wasn't. The Athletic Commission had like 13 staff members here. They'd never seen my tribe. They'd never met me. The guy pulled me off the side, he said, who's that? And I said, that's this lady, she does all this, blah, 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 blah. Who's that? And I said, oh, that's the guy, he does all this stuff for me. Who's that guy? Oh, he does it. He said, they just all do this stuff for you? I said, well, I guess so. I just tell them I'm doing stuff, and they show up, and they help. He said, why do they do that? And I said, because they believe in the vision. He said, the vision for what? I said, creating community. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you see a fight night. I see people doing life together. I see people escaping the fact that the bills are overdue and that they fought with their wife all week and that their kids are driving them crazy. And for three hours, they get to come watch some dude bash another dude's skull and they get to do it around people who watch it, like watching other people bash people's skulls. So you see fights, I see community, and those people buy into community. I don't do events, I build community. Do you think I could do that on my own? tell you a funny story. I didn't want to drive everyone crazy because I do, believe it or not, feel guilty from time to time that I do so much stuff and you guys help me out so much. So I took it upon myself this week to set the entire place up by myself. What normally takes about four hours with a team of people took me four days. I was ready to kill everybody. Laid it all out. Faye comes down here, helped me at the last minute. I said, boom, here's the list. I've done it all. Like I feel like I've accomplished something. Here you go, Faye. Look what I've done. I'm going home to shower. I'm on the way back. The phone rings. You laid all these chairs out? Uh-huh. By myself. I wanted Faye to be like, God, you did such a good job. Thank you. She said, you know the front row is 17 short. 
said, no, it's not. 17 short. Oh. She said, do you know that you sold four more tables than you actually have tables for? I said, oh, uh-uh. I didn't know that. She said, do you know that you sold 22 more third-row seats than you have actual seats on the third row? I said, uh-uh, I didn't know that. She said, did you know that you sold 11 more second-row seats than you actually have seats for? I said, uh-uh, I didn't know that. She said, there's no more room to add chairs to those rows. She said, if you'd have used me this week, I'd have fixed it and found it early in the week, but now it's time for the event. I said, well, I was just trying to give you a break. She said, well, now you've created more work. I said, oh. Four hours later, we fixed it. She fixed it. I refunded nobody's money. I ain't refunding nobody's money. Somehow we got all the seats in and no one complained. I didn't let the people God put around me do what they're good at. God's put people in your life who want to buy into your vision. They want to believe in what you're doing. When you're the visionary, people want to be part of something that is bigger than themselves. And they will buy into what you're doing if you will allow them. But you've got to be a respecter of those people. And the way you respect those people is making sure they understand the mission of what you're doing. And the second thing, making sure that there's a plan where you're not wasting their time. The number one thing people ask me, how do you get so many people to help you? They know the mission and they know the plan. They make me look good. I don't do anything. You're not even trying to be funny. I know everybody laughs when I say, I don't do anything. I shake hands and I kiss babies. But I get to do that because I understood the first thing. Some of you are frustrated in the vision process, in the mission process, and you've never set out with what God told you to do because you can't get those first two things understood. You'll never have a fresh start until you begin to do what God's called you to do. Define the mission. Build the plan. And then inspire people. John Wesley said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. You have no passion. You think people ought to help you because they know you. No. God will give you a fresh start. But you've got to be willing to do what it takes to do it. Everyone wants the glory and nobody wants the work. Every time I do a festival, people say, man, man, you got the greatest job in the world. Put on festivals, walk around, drink beer, and eat barbecue. And I'm like, you see eight hours of what I spent five months planning for. We were cleaning up last night because we had church today. And I took a picture, and I almost posted it last night. Put on fights, they say. It'll be fun, they'll say. And it's 12.30, and we're literally 
scooping up trash with shovels. That's the part you don't see. You don't want to put in the work. But you want the reward. That's why you'll never have a fresh start. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And that ain't even got to be with your career. What if you had that mindset with your marriage? What's the goal in your marriage? What's the plan? You better have, hey, I have learned, you better have a plan with your marriage. Because it's so easy to push it to the back burner. I've been busy the last 10 days. I told my wife, she come home, she comes home today. I said, I want to go to dinner tonight. We said, here's what I want to eat, clear vision. Here's what I want to eat. Let me give you another part of that clear vision. I do not want the kids to go. Plan. I said afterward, I ain't going to say what I said afterwards. I got in trouble a couple of weeks ago. Took me 11 years to offend y'all. I talked about the truck and everybody was offended. Even Sierra said it was too far. I ain't going to tell you what I said afterwards. I wanted to say something. I caught myself. I just even though I was on a diet, I wanted dessert, but I'm not going to say that. So, you know. Oh, I just said it in my bath. Anyway, I had a plan. <laughs> it was a very clear mission statement. And then I got buy-in. Amazing how that works. Fresh start with your finances. Fresh start with your children. It can happen if you're willing to put the work in. 